1: Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Hello, and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. This is episode 16, and our guest today is Megan Brown. Megan is a sixth-generation cattle farmer in Northern California. She also has some heritage pork on her farm, which we're going to talk about exactly what heritage pork is. And she's also going to talk to us about what it was like to go through the California fires that happened a few years ago. Um, She says there's some crazy stories that she witnessed and was part of. And then we're also going to talk about feminism and sexism in agriculture. Like like most industries, there are issues going on, and agriculture is no different. So she's going to talk about what she's done and some things she's kind of seen and things she hopes would change in the future. And we're also going to talk about her blog, which is called TheBeefJar.com and kind of the purpose of it, some recipes she has on there and why she does it. So it's a really cool conversation we're going to have with Megan. Thanks for stopping by and hope you enjoy it. Well, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast, Megan Brown. How are you doing?
0: I'm excellent. Thank you. How are you?
1: Doing great. Thank you. So you are in Northern California. You are a cattle farmer, hog farmer. Sounds like you've got a lot of really good experience in the ag industry. So kind of walk us through how you got started in agriculture and kind of what you do now, like your whole kind of ag story.
0: My whole story. Okay. Well, I was... Born into this family, Um, we're sixth-generation cattle ranchers in California. We originally came from Tennessee. Uh, I was an only child, or am still an only child. So uh, I got thrown in rather early, and I did the, you know, 4-H, FFA thing, and then went to Chico State University and got a degree in agriculture. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I I pulled a legally blonde. I was like, I'm going to go to law school. This is going to be the best thing ever. I went, it wasn't what I thought it was and I quit. So that's a really awkward conversation when you're like tell your whole family, I'm going to law school and I'm gonna save the ranch so we don't have to have any um, legal fees and then you drop out. Uh, but then I ended back here, ended up back in the ranch. Um, but the, the caveat was I had to have my own income because I'd always worked for my parents and they like, you know, they didn't really like to pay me. They're like, you live here, you're doing great. So, I got to start ho- hogs and I started Heritage Hogs because, again, I'm in California and anything niche like that is very popular. And that's how I ended up where I am now.
1: Well, cool. Yeah. So, you said it's a 6th generation family farm. So, can you walk us through like the history of that operation, like when it started, how it's been throughout your whole family?
0: Yeah. Um, we started originally as uh, my family was 49ers. They wanted to do the gold rush thing and they got out here and realized. There wasn't any money in that, and they'd originally been farmers. So they just went ahead and, and started farming and ranching up in this little area of California. And we've stayed and we do it much the way they did back in the 1800s. We, we winter our cattle in Butte County and then we haul them up in cattle trucks in, in the summer to Plumas County. And we do that for a couple of reasons. It's fire danger and they get a second spring and it's not as hot. But we've been doing that for over 100 years. And here I am, the sixth generation and a female doing it the same way.
1: What do you guys do today? I know you said you have um, pasture and heritage hogs. What exactly are pasture and heritage hogs?
0: So, you know, you have like your normal hogs, like you'd buy in the store. And um, those are like conventional. And, and heritage hogs are more like, I like to compare them to like an heirloom vegetable. So they're, they're a little different. Like my red wattle hogs, for example, have wattles hanging off their face. And people come over and they see them and they've never seen that before. And again, this isn't something I had seen until I was in my 20s. So um, they're really unusual and they're more of a lard breed and they do better like outside. They're a little hardier. They're not as sensitive to cold. So um, I run them out here with, with the cattle sometimes. And it's just a really neat, different thing. The pork is a little fattier. It's a little different than what you'd get in the store. So I've, I've cultivated a pretty good clientele and kind of, once you go heritage, you can't go back. So I warn people and they also get to choose their own cuts. So they end up getting, you know, packages of meat that they've never seen before. So it's like turns into this big foodie thing where you get this really cool local product and you also have to get out of your comfort zone and cook some different things.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. It sounds like such a cool idea instead of just going to Publix or Walmart and getting your typical ham like, hey, let me go to a farmer that's raising a hog. Let me pick out the exact hog, pick out the exact cut that I'm going to get and see how it tastes. That's a really cool concept. Has it always been like that with your operation or is that something you kind of started?
0: Um, this is new. The, the pigs is, that's definitely like something new that I've done all by myself and I'm really, really, really proud of it because when I started doing Heritage Hogs, it was kind of like pulling teeth. Like I had, in all honesty, I had to get my dad drunk on margaritas to get like him to agree to this because um, the way it set up is I'm renting ground from him and he was just like, no, you're too busy with the cattle. And when I started it, I framed it as well listen," because I was still working in a law office. I was like, listen, parents, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to start this program and it's going to be called adult 4-H. I'm going to have my girlfriends who are also young professionals come out and help me run these pigs. So we guarantee you, you won't have to do anything. It'll all be us and we'll give you a pig when this is over. And if it doesn't work out, I will never say the word pig again in your presence. And it worked out. And my friends got to raise pigs with me. And I had a year of practice before I I quit my town job where I had an income. I had a 401k. I had a parking spot. It was wonderful. But now I'm I'm doing the pigs and it's really, really working well. So I started, it just, the whole thing is different. And when I started it, you know, all like my cattle rancher friends were just like, what do you want to be raising those stinking hogs for? Well, now a lot of them are raising hogs with me or buying hogs from me. So it kind of come full circle and I, I chuckle deeply.
1: Yeah, that's neat. It sounds like you're kind of the trendsetter and all that. That's really cool. Now, you said you, you're from Northern California, so you've experienced the past two wildfires that went through there. I think there were there were, the Chesapeake Fire and the Camp Fire, both in 2017 to 2018.
0: Yeah, we had the Cherokee Fire and the Camp Fire. And, and then before that, we had um, the Oroville Dam failure or the, the spillway almost failure so and then before that there was a drought. So it's been you know um, the past four or five years have been really uh, really exciting. We'll put it that way. That's what I like to tell myself, exciting.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it sounds like it. Kind of walk us through what what kind of happened during those two fires. I mean, what what was it like living up there and how did it affect your your operations? Well,
0: it's been it's been really crazy. So the Cherokee fire hit us first, and that fire actually burned our ranch up. It caused over $3 million worth of damage. Um, We had about 10 minutes to get out of our homes and evacuate. So of course that meant we got to take none of our animals because you know, you can't load pigs in the middle of the night when in 10 minutes, it just doesn't happen. So um, we had a lot of amazing things happen. A lot of horrific things happen. The Cherokee fire, while it did burn down homes and buildings and barns, it didn't kill anything my guardian dog managed to gather all of my pigs into one barn and saved them. And Cal Fire later told me this heroic story of my dog, you know, they tried to get the dog to come and she said, no, don't touch me, I'm here. Well, everybody lived, again, the Cal Fire managed to save this barn. So that was, that was incredible. And then so after the Cherokee fire, we dealt with a year of cleanup. And then 13 months later, um, we dealt with the campfire. And again, that lasted, you know, over a month, um, it burned up many communities, it changed our world as we know it. And it, we're um, celebrating, if you will, the 6 month anniversary today, and our whole community is talking about it. And it's just not something you can get away from. So, you know, it's just been kind of horrific. And, and but I've had a really unique experience. I'll put it that way.
1: I can't believe that about the dog saving the livestock. That is incredible. That's like one of those crazy stories you hear on the news. That's so crazy. Yeah.
0: Well, actually, it did make the news. Oh, hey, (laughs) Um, cool.
1: I I was hoping it would.
0: (laughs) She made Modern Modern Farmer and a a couple other um, publications. But then later, um, I lost her. Uh, uh, She either got stolen or somebody accidentally picked her up because that's kind of a common thing with guardian dogs. A lot of them don't have collars. They look kind of rough because they live with their livestock. Uh, So that was devastating, you know, it's just, it's kind of been a rough, rough year. But then I ended up being able to adopt two of her family member dogs as adults, which normally that doesn't really work out with guardian dogs, you know, but this one did. So now I have more guardian dogs and I love them. I can't say enough about Great Pyrenees. They have changed how I operate my livelihood.
1: Yeah, I'm over here in Panama City. And so we had Hurricane Michael a few months ago and... It's crazy because I've heard from so many timber farmers in the area. I think in North Florida alone has lost a billion dollars just in the timber industry. And my grandpa, who he owns a hardware store in in Bluntstown, and of course he knows everybody in town. He's saying we're not going to feel the hit now, but we're going to feel it months and years later when that timber money isn't coming in. So yeah, so, it takes
0: months and years.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're like, oh, we'll be fine, we'll replant. But then years later, it kind of trickles down, and you're thinking okay, this is what we hadn't planned for. Um, so one thing you, you've mentioned that you're very passionate about is is feminism and sexism in, in the agriculture industry. If you can, can you kind of walk us through what you've experienced and how that's kind of shaped kind of some strong points you want to address in the ag industry?
0: Yeah, the, the ag industry is still a very male-dominated industry. I mean, yeah, I think there were like at 35% women-owned farms, but... Um, you know, we're still not there, and it's kind of like a taboo subject. You start talking about it, and it makes people really uncomfortable. I really started talking about it on Twitter just because of an incident of a man explaining what it was like to be a woman to a woman, Um, and that kind of got my attention, and from there, um, it's kind of exploded, and for the past year and a half, I've really made a soapbox and a platform of talking about feminism and and sexism and how it really does exist, and it's... um, it's kind of made me a misfit in certain circles and a hero in others, which is interesting because a lot of women are saying, Oh, I've never experienced this. And then I have a whole bunch of DMS from women that are like, thank you for talking about this. I can't talk about it safely because my job or even my person is in danger. So when I started getting these emails, I realized I'm not alone and it's important to talk about them because unless we talk about these, these issues, it's not going to get better. And The fact I made people uncomfortable also kind of told me I was on something. So I've really become outspoken, and anything I can do to learn more or share about this topic, I am here for it.
1: Have you seen a lot more people or a lot more females in the ag industry kind of come forward with stories they have or situations they've been in kind of since you started broadcasting your experiences?
0: Absolutely. You know, that's what it took for me to start talking about it. I don't even remember who it really was that started influencing me, but someone, you know, that's what it takes. It takes one woman telling her story and it influences, it ripples out and then it just gets bigger and bigger. And I've, I've seen it. And now I've, um, another woman at a farm show, um, was assaulted and talked about it. And from when I first started talking about sexism to when she started talking about sexism, I noticed a huge difference. Like people were more willing to believe her which is like shocking to me that people won't believe women when we're like, yeah, we got our, you know, we were inappropriately touched at a farm show, which is something that happens. So it's really been great. I am seeing some um, improvement. So I'm, I'm keeping on keeping on. And, and hopefully I'm inspiring other women. I mean, I've seen it. So we're all in this together. And, and I think we all want to make it better. And this is how we do it.
1: Absolutely. That's so great that you're kind of letting your voice be heard. I, I always thought it was interesting that I was in FFA in high school and I think the statistic was about 70% of, of women in um, in FFA programs hold officer positions. And then once you kind of get older in the whole ag industry of farmers, women are such a small portion of it and you just think it's going to transfer over. But then you're like, actually, we need more women in agriculture more leadership positions, more production agriculture. And it's funny because you... Like a lot of my grandmas, for example, both of them garden. I know a lot of old women that garden. But then mm-hmm. in production agriculture, there's not a whole lot of, of of women in in that respective industry. So it's really cool that it's kind of starting to come full circle, and more and more women are being involved in production agriculture, and their voices are being heard. So that's a really cool endeavor.
0: Oh, I love it. I am here for, for it. And like the more women, as I like to say, as, the more I can bring to the dark side of agriculture. Like I am here. Like I, I, I. I love to work with women just because how our culture is framed, you know, we're a little oh. more empathetic. We're a little more willing to work with the animals because we don't have the brawn, So we have to work with them, you know, and that's been like one of my big things is when I work with my dad or my dad's friends who are men, they can manhandle calves in a way I just can't. Like they're stronger than I am. So I have to think smarter. So I, you know, I, I am a big, big fan of Dr. Temple Grandin. She's been a huge influence on on me. So learning how to run cattle better, you know, the, the way that cattle like to be worked has been just amazing and really has turned my life around and made working with animals much more pleasant and easier for me. And it's really fun now that I've learned this to do something that, you know, technically might be considered like really hard or scary to do, like bringing in bulls. And I'm like, what, this is hard. So it's, it's fun to kind of rub that in people's faces. <laughs>
1: I learned about Professor Temple Grandin uh, a few years ago when I was in college and just hearing of her story. I mean, she's a professor at Colorado State. She has she talks about um, animal behavior, autism, and -hmm. she's just such a really cool spokeswoman. And just I don't know the way she carries herself and the way she just teaches individuals about animal behavior is just really awe-inspiring.
0: She is a really outstanding spokesperson for agriculture. And the fact that, you know, she does have books and the movie with Claire Danes, you know, she's really got out there. She's a great voice for us.
1: Can you tell us more about your blog, The Beef Jar, like when you started it and what what you would like to accomplish with it and what its kind of main goal is?
0: You know, I started it 10 years ago because I was trying to get a man's attention, oddly enough. And I was like, dude, if this guy can blog, I can blog too. I'll show him. And I did. My blog is now way, way, way bigger than his. <laughs> but um, <laughs> nice. I, I, you know, it's funny, but um, it kind of it, it evolved, and it it is constantly evolving. And I think most of us that run blogs, it evolves with us, and it, it grows you know, with our lives. Like my blog is called The Beef Jar. Well, I'm now way better known for pigs. So, you know, it's it's done, it's gone full full circle. And it's just kind of a window into my life. Sometimes I don't blog too much. And then sometimes I blog a lot. It just depends how I'm feeling. But like, it's just a place for me to show interesting things that I think are cool. Like, Like, did you know, pigs, you know, when they're born, they have hooves, but they're born with a coating that protects their mom's reproductive tract. Most people don't know that. And this just gives me a place to show that. And it also gives me a place to show recipes. So you don't know what you're going to get there. So be careful.
1: <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I was looking at it and it seems like there's a lot of information there, which is really, really good. Um, now, something I really like to ask all the people we have on is their, their view of the farmer-consumer relationship. So... Right now, with all social media going on, you can Google anything you want. You can buy anything you want at any store, any produce from basically wherever. How do you see the farmer-consumer relationship right now in 2019?
0: That's a really, really good question. Um, I have a a lot of thoughts on that because I I do sell like commercial beef. So I'm involved in commodity groups, and I do do direct marketing to consumers. And I've really noticed an uptick in my direct marketing. Consumers want to know where their food comes from. They want to connect. Um, you know, that's, my pigs are huge now. So it's really cool to see them seek us out. But in that same vein, I will see them, you know, seek out farmers and go to these farmers group like on Facebook. Like um, there's a couple big ones that I won't name. But you go in there and if you don't really um, adhere to, to the status quo or you ask a question that maybe everybody else knows you run the risk of, of being attacked. Quite frankly, um, you know, certain aspects of agriculture, we're not nice. We're not nice to ourselves. We're not nice to consumers. But we like to talk this game or, oh, the, you know, what the consumer, the consumer. But that same thing, we'll show up, we'll share a poem or something that puts every consumers down and, and makes it look like ag people are the best and think a farmer demand it. So I think, I think, The ag side has a lot of work to do. I think we need to actually listen to the consumer, and um, you know I think that's interesting when you talk about like fake meat. There's a lot of lawsuits going on with the meat industry saying, oh, we don't want it called meat. It's not meat. It's fake meat. And the consumers that are buying it, they know that it's not a labeling issue. They're buying it because it's not real meat. So I think we have a lot long way to go. Um, We've been. I want to say, you know, the past 10 years we've had social media. It's really given everybody a window and a way to reach out to each other. So we have that now, but now we need to kind of clean up our act, get cohesive, and move forward.
1: Yeah, I just Googled it just to, just to verify it. So the average age of a farmer is 58. And mm-hmm. I'm not trying to knock on anybody that's 58, especially farmers. But, I mean, right now we're the age of social media where if you want to find out anything about anything you get on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter – You rarely try to find a credible source. And the fact of the matter is that a lot of those farmers that are 58, 59, 60, they don't really know how to use social media to leverage their products, to leverage their operation. But I've seen kind of like an uptick of younger farmers to where they're using social media. And they've gotten really large followings of people that want to watch how they do what they do, how they grow their produce, how they raise their livestock. So it's really cool to kind of see this younger generation actually making use of social media to kind of do their part in better informing consumers.
0: I could not agree more. I love it. Like my Twitter account has over 8,000 followers now. And these, you know, my followers are my friends now. They are with me. Like they watch when my pigs give birth. They watch when my cows do. They are sad when I lose a pig. I mean, it is a very emotional thing at this point. But you're right, like my dad, he doesn't have any social media. He just tells me to put stuff on the internet. So it's funny, he's aware of it. He knows that there's some use, but you're absolutely right where the older generation, it's it's a lost cause almost.
1: Yeah, that's true. Now, now One thing I've found, the older generation in terms of agrotourism, the older generation is really good with agrotourism. Once you get people out to the farm, they do a really good job of demonstrating their processes, explaining how the process has changed from when they were young to how, where they are now. So the younger generation, get them hooked on the social media aspect, and then the older generation kind of get them hooked once they're in the door. door. So I guess maybe that would be a perfect world.
0: Yes. That's so funny because I have media come out to, like, interview me or whatever, and my dad, whenever he's here, will steal the friggin' show. And I'm like, Dad, this is about me. Like, farm her. My dad was so intrigued. I'm like, Dad, farm her. So, yeah, they're very good. You're absolutely right.
1: That's funny. Yeah, uh, my grandpa, he... He raised um, beef cattle when he was younger, and then a few, about, I think, 10, 15, 20 years ago, he raised hybrid bass. And, I mean, he wow. knew nothing about, he knows nothing now about social media. I mean, he can barely figure out how to get on the internet. But um, he, you, if somebody asks him about his operation, he can tell you all about it why they did it. He'll tell you all these really cool stories. So it's, it's really cool. I mean, the older generation has a lot of really good stories to tell. Uh, well, Megan, if people want to learn more about you, if they want to learn about your operation, about your website, uh, your website is thebeefjar.com, but it, what about your Twitter handle? If they want to find out more about you on different media, social media avenues, where can they go?
0: They can go for Twitter is Meg Ray B. It's M-E-G-R-A-E-B. Um, I have a Facebook. It's the Beef Jar, just like my blog. I uh, Snapchat, which is also Meg Ray B. So basically, if you Meg Ray B. me, you'll find me. And uh, you know, if you're in Northern California, stop by the ranch. I love to have visitors. My dad will give you a tractor ride. It'll be great.
1: Hey, that does sound pretty good. Um, <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, Megan, thank you very much for being on the podcast, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Thank you, Trevor. This was really great.
1: Hey, everyone. We're trying to make things easier for you to listen to the podcast. We are now a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, and that means you can now find us on an additional platform. We're now available on the Waypoint app on your Apple TV, Roku, or Amazon Fire Stick, smart TVs like Samsung, and even game systems. While you're on there, check out over 2,500 of the best hunting and fishing shows and short films. Download the app and watch and listen anywhere.